the day. Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to Romans 3, 21 through 26. I want to talk to you today. I'm, this is a two-part uh, message. I will finish it next week. Um, but I want to talk to you about the benefits of righteousness. Sometimes we talk about righteousness and we uh, understand that we have it, but we do very little with it. But righteousness has been given unto you to live by. Righteousness and faith work together to cause an abundant life to come to you in Christ Jesus. So we're going to talk about the benefits of righteousness. And before we talk about that, I guess we need to talk about what righteousness is. Now, I know that we automatically say right standing with God, but righteousness is born out of another act. Out of another act. In Romans, the third chapter, and let's look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sin, sins that, that are passed through the forbearance of God. And then it says, and to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Righteousness. Verse 22 says that we have the righteousness of God, which is by faith. It does not mean that it doesn't require works, because righteousness in itself is a definition of the boundaries of right thinking, attitudes, and actions. And so in verse 22, it says that the righteousness simply is the state of being approved by God. It is a position being, of being reconciled to God without sin or the regret, the guilt, the condemnation, or its right to rule you. Now, righteousness is the end result of something else. And that's found, if you look down in verse 24, it says this, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is Christ, that is in Christ. See, our sins separated us from God. You could not be in a right standing with God without having your sins previously dealt with. Now, I know that these might be small things to you, but they are deep things in the Scriptures. The reason that we have a right standing with God, a position of acceptance, with no mindfulness of guilt, mindfulness or regret of what we've done and no condemnation, that is because before you were put in that position, you were justified. 
Anybody know what the word justified means? It, may, it means to be made innocent. This is what happens at the redemption of the believer. In other words, our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that produces justification. The word justification means innocence. In other words, when the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to our life, guess what? We stand before God in innocence. The word innocent is connected to, I know most people don't want to think of this unless the Pope pronounce it over you. The word is simply this, that when you're justified, you are a saint. You can find that in Romans 1, uh, chapter 1, 1 through 5, is that we, Paul, writes to the saints that are at Rome. In other words, you are innocent. You have been washed in the blood. And because you have been washed in the blood, what does a freedom of sin produce? Somebody say holiness. Holiness. So we are justified when we are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Then we are a holy byproduct of the blood. And that holiness does what? Gives us a position or an access unto God through a right standing. In other words, when you're justified, when you're made holy, there is no wrong that God sees in your life. You have righteousness which gives you access to a righteous God. So it is a process, but we need to understand that process. And it says that we are redeemed. That simply means an amount paid for a ransom or a price paid to liberate those that are bound by a debt. So Jesus redeems us. He pays the debt. Therefore, we are innocent. Therefore, we are holy. Therefore, we have a right of access with God. Could again, amen. All right. It might, again, it might seem little, but it means something to us. Righteousness is a position made by the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ that came by the shedding of his blood. Jesus died by shedding of his blood. He did not just die because he was crucified. He died because his blood was shed. Now, these are important facts today because in today's society, there seems to be a lack of this doctrine that we are to build our lives upon. And so, we have been made righteous, put in a position with God because of the blood of Christ that justifies us, which produces us uh, separated from the world, a holy people that then gives us right of access with God. Now, let's go to 1 Peter 1.18. 1 Peter 1.18, I can have that on the screen. And I know that it's a common passage of Scripture, but we never get tired of reading what is what is supernatural for so much as ye know that ye were not redeemed or redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. In other words, sin is far more costly to you than you can pay. Could I get an amen? So don't indulge in it because it promises you nothing but a smoke screen. But on the other side of that smoke screen is a fire. 
But what you want to make sure, do is that we do not think that we can get set free from sin by our own works or by riches or good deeds. And it says, from your vain conversation received by the traditions of your fathers. And it says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And it says, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for who? You. Somebody say you. All right. You and I have received the blessedness of God's gift through Jesus Christ. Sin enables Satan to rule you, to control you, and to destroy man's life. Jesus said in John 8, 34, He that committeth sin, listen, listen, listen. He that committeth sin is the servant of sin. Oh, I've sinned and nothing's happened to me. Said the fool that could not see beyond his nose. No, if you commit sin, you are the servant of sin. Now, the taskmaster might not call on you today, but he will call upon you someday. He's going to call upon you, and you're going to have to pay your debt. Could again get an amen? Romans 6, 16 says, To whomsoever you submit your members, that's whose servant you become. But thank God we don't have to sin because we've been empowered by God with a supernatural infusion of grace that when sin comes up on us, no matter what size the waves and the temptations are, there is a supernatural infusion of grace, the enablement of God to resist sin and to stay in a place of rightness with God. Amen. Now, Kylan read this today, and it says, And John beheld the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Man understands the price needed to be paid for his sin. But it could not be paid by himself because of the weakness of his flesh, Romans 8, 1 and 2. But the wages of sin is death. In other words, somebody has to die for the debt to be fulfilled or to canceled. Amen. Amen? Sin, or so it is that a man that could pay his own debt then would be dead. He would not be freed from his sin. He simply would have paid the price for it. But thank God that God in his mercy, somebody say mercy, and his love, which remember mercy and love, in Ephesians 2, 6 down through 8, make up a thing called grace. Mercy and love are the motivators that produces grace on our behalf. For man's provided a substitution, a substitute. One that, a word substitute means one that would take the place of another acting in the place of that individual. It means a place of exchange. In other words, if I was going to substitute myself for a whipping. Did you ever get in a fight or something to see your brother going to get beat and say, No, no, Daddy, beat me, not him. I never did, but maybe some of you people did. No, I think my brother should have got far more than he got. We were talking the other day. He was mom's favorite. 
wish that God, God would encourage my dad to beat him more. But wrath runs downhill. Hallelujah. And the short ones get it. Hallelujah. So we got it. But a substitute means that if something is due to another, that the one that it is due is taken out of its place and another is put there. That's what a substitute is. And so we, in God's grace and mercy, he provided for us a substitute. It means to replace another or to use another instead of one, to stand in proxy or to be a surrogate, a surrogate. So we as people understand that God made Jesus Christ to be sin. He made him to be sin. Who never knew sin that you and I could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, there is a divine exchange. Somebody say divine exchange. Now, if you'll go to, uh, well, let's go to Titus 2.14 first, and then we're going to get in, right into the meat of it. Titus 2.14. Watch these words. Who gave himself, Jesus, that he might redeem, pay, buy us back from all iniquity or sin, and that he might purify, make holy unto himself a peculiar people, people with a right standing with God, zealous of good works. Next verse. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Now Jesus gave himself for you and I. And that really is a fulfillment of a symbolism that is found if you go to Leviticus, the 16th chapter, and let's look at verse 5 through 10. Can I have these on the scriptures? Leviticus 16, 5 through 10, and it says, And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel, Jesus was a Jew, an Israelite, two kids of the goats, one for an offering and one for a ram for a burnt offering. Hey, I'm glad you showed up. Next verse. All right. And Aaron shall offer his bullock for his own sin, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall then take the two goats. He shall present them before God at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots, flip a coin, upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. This is your brother. He gets the blood. And then it says, but the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Now let's go to verse 15, please. Leviticus 16, 15. I know that you say, boy, there's a lot of reading. That's okay. It's good for your eyes and your head. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering. That's your brother. Don't worry. Don't get nervous. And that is for the people to bring his blood within the veil and to do that with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and to sprinkle it upon the mercy seat 
and before the mercy seat. And he shall take, make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in their sins. Do you remember when Jesus said, Touch me not, for I must ascend unto my Father? You remember that scripture? Jesus had to take the blood and go to heaven and to cleanse the temple or the holy place in the heavens because sin corrupted not just the tabernacles of man but the tabernacles of God man had access to that and this is what happens here Moses takes it Aaron takes it and he sprinkles it so mercy can be extended to the sinner and so Jesus goes to give us access through his blood into the holy of holies in heaven and it says, and so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth to make an atonement into the holy place. That, that dying and shedding blood is getting to him, ain't he? And until he come out, he had made an atonement for himself and for his household and for the congregation of Israel. Next verse. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord, make an atonement, and he shall take the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about it. And he shall sprinkle the blood upon it and he, with his finger seven times, cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place of the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. This is your job. And Aaron shall lay his hands upon the head of the live goat, confess over him all of the iniquities of the children of Israel, all their transgressions in their sins, putting them up on the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit, man or a holy man into the wilderness in other words this is a transference it is a divine exchange it is an exchange that John prophesied that Jesus came this is a land that taketh away the sins of the world the high priest would take the sins of Israel and he would place them upon the head of the goat the goat would then be led out into the wilderness where he was subject to the beast of the field the beast of the field are re, uh, symbolized when Paul said I have fought the beast of, of Ephesus that were the principalities and powers that ruled the nation or the city of Ephesus or of the Ephesians and so what happened was that he laid his hands on them the goat then being penalized or bearing the sins of the people went out into the wilderness he suffered the curse outside the camp do you remember that Jesus suffered outside of the gates of the city that is the perfect picture of Jesus being the scapegoat for mankind could I get an amen now least we forget something let's go to Acts Thank you. You're, you're done, but you're alive. Go jump and rejoice. Hallelujah. And uh, let's go to Acts 20, 28. Let's realize who Jesus was and really what it took to get our sins forgiven. 
And it says this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he, who, God, hath purchased with his what? We have been purchased with the blood of God. The Bible says that if you want to see the love of man, you could love him. But no greater love would have any man except that he lay down his life for another. Jesus laid down his life for you and I. Could I have Isaiah 9, 6 and verse 6 up on there? Isaiah 9, verse 6. Jesus was a scapegoat. He come. He was God in the flesh. Isaiah 7, 14 calls him Emmanuel, God with us. Now think how much God sacrificed and how much he loved you to get you to a place of righteousness. Then it says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, and the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice for henceforth even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts hath performed this. Jesus came because of the zeal of the Lord. Let's go to Isaiah 53. So realize that this is in Isaiah 53 this is prophesied 700 years before Jesus was ever born. It is a prophetic unveiling of what is going to take place, and it is unveiling to us one step at a time who and what the scapegoat is really doing on our behalf. May I have Jesus up here? Isaiah 53, 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Stay right there, Jesus. Hate to order you around. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness wherewith we should see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But we hid our faith from him. We refused to know him and acknowledge him. He was despised and we did not esteem him or encourage him or lift him up or stand with him at all. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, but we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But the truth of the matter is, was... He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace, reconciliation between man and God, was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. We are all sheep going astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And, and, and the Lord hath laid upon him in the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? Or who shall declare the message that he bought at that time from God himself? He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of the people. He was stricken. He made a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had no, done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make the, uh, his soul an offering for sin, his seed, and he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see, he, God, shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And with, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide with him a portion of the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul upon death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Could I have some sinners? Give me some sinners. Who's got a sinner? This is Jesus. Nothing unclean about him. He goes to the cross bearing our sin. Can I have your sin? Filthy communication. Hate. Fornication. Greed. Lying. Offense. It is sin to be offended when you really receive no long wrong because love should cover a multitude of sins. Evil thinking. Division. Stealing. My wife calls it receiving what was really hers. <laughs> Bitterness. And who are you? Tyler. Yeah, but weren't you a liar? Yeah. But he bore your sins. And who are you? Greed. Greed. But he bore your sins. And you were fornicator. fornicator. Yet he died for your sins. 
hate, yet he died for your sins. Offended, but he died for your sins. Evil thinking, but he bore your sins. Division, yet he bore your sins. Filthy communication, yet he bore your sin. Stealing, yet he bore your sins. Bitterness, yet he bore your sins. Where are your sins? Where, where, where do you have any information that you are a liar? And you were who? Greed. No. Nope. And you were... Okay. Sometimes those guys hide in places. Hate. You ever rip off people's identity and stuff? Yeah, hallelujah. <laughs> Offended. Well, I, I want to kill you because that's what you deserve, but I, I got to have evidence. Of, of, where's the evidence? I've got the cross ready, but where's the evidence? I, there, no, no, no. These aren't sinners. They have no sin to them. But this man has become a sinner. That they might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can go back home now. Hallelujah. All right. So we see that Jesus bore him. Somebody say, Jesus bore him. The Bible says that Jesus bore our sins in his own body that you and I should stop living like sinners dominated by the lust of the flesh easily provoked to action by our emotions. We need to stop that because that will break the power and the plan of righteousness. Jesus bore our sins in his body that we might live under righteousness not cast it off and die. One more passage of Scripture, and we're going to close today. Zechariah 3, 1 through 4. Zechariah 1 through 3. Now, you can check those people over after the service, and there is no evidence of their sin. Zechariah 3, 1 through 4. Now, there you are. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at Joshua's right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord, he hath chosen Jerusalem, rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua clothed with filthy garments, and he stood before the angel. And he answered, and he spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have called thine iniquities to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And he said, Let them that set fair mirth upon thy head and they said a fair mirth thank you upon his head and clothed him with garments and the angel of the Lord stood by 
And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, keep and will keep my charge, then thou shalt go also and judge my house, and thou shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Hear now, Joshua, the high priest. How could he be called a high priest and still have garments unfit to stand before God? Because the work of the cross and your identity in God was performed before the foundations of the earth. And when a man turns his heart to God and his wickedness and unclean garments are removed, his true purpose and place in God is unveiled. God has made us before the foundations of the earth priests and kings, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Could I get an amen? And what God does is he removes the filthy garments from our lives through the blood of Jesus Christ and bestows upon us a new identity. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. He gives us oil for gladness. He gives us the a spirit of praise for the spirit of mourning. He puts up on us a robe of rejoicing. Why? Because we are new creatures in Christ. He's taking away wickedness and he's imparting or imputing or making us righteous. Could I get an amen? Now go back to that. Uh, I think it's on verse 8. Okay, and it says this. Hear now, O Joshua high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. Does anybody know who the branch is? Jesus Christ. Remember the root and the branch out of dry ground. Now verse 9. And for behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the gravings thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Next verse. And in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the tree. Hallelujah. Rescuers. Soul savers. Next verse. And the angel that talked with me came again and awaked me and said, As a man that is awakened out of his sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I looked and behold a candlestick with all gold and a bow, bowl up on the top of it and his seven lamps thereof, seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the seven tops thereof, do you remember what that is a representative of? The seven churches of revelations. God tells us he has set us as priests. Could I get an amen? Listen, we are set. We are the trees of righteousness. Come on. Hallelujah. We are the trees of gladness. We are the plantings of the Lord. We ought to shout for the joy. We ought to shout for our deliverance. We have been had re unrighteousness removed from us. And we have been declared right in the midst of our adversary, the accuser. These are the priests of our God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what righteousness is and that's how it came about.
Now, I know that we know these things, never get tired of. I know you've heard the name of Jesus a million times. I guess he's been saved a week. Never get tired of mentioning it. The devil hates it, but we rejoice in it. We have been justified. Equipped. All of our sins have been removed of us. I challenge anybody to find one sin on my life. Oh, well, you're, you're holy. Find one sin upon my life because of his righteousness that he gave me for my sin. I am holy. I've been separated from sin for God's purpose, which is that I might have access through right standing with God. Now, what are the benefits of having access to God? Next Sunday. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's stand our feet today. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. You bore our sins in your body. That we being freed from our sins, justified, acquitted, saints of God. Saints of God. Saints of God. Hallelujah. That we might live under righteousness. By his stripes, we have been healed. Never doubt the work of God. Never doubt the great exchange. Unrighteousness for righteousness. Joy for sorrow. Praise for oppression. Peace for rage and confusion. We are the righteousness of God. As Paul said to the Roman centurion, the centurion said, but I purchased this identity with great cost. Our identity in Christ has been purchased with a great cost. Never forget what it cost Jesus. Never forget that God laid himself into the hands of transgressors. Oh, hallelujah. 